Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. Dylan G, that is me. <laughs> and we're we're back again. Uh, guess who's back? Back again. It's us. We're back again. And we uh, we missed a week on you. Sorry about that. But we're back and better than ever. Can we say that? Is that legally uh, gonna gonna hold up? I don't, I don't think it's legally binding. We can lie about <laughs> we if we're lie. better or not. Uh, yeah, we're uh, we're back. We're gonna do probably a little bit of a shorter one because this this is kind of a redux topic. But we wanted to talk about. This okay, fire so, still burns in us. <laughs> a soul still burns. Dill and I were talking about video games outside of this uh, bi-weekly obligation that we have created for ourselves, weirdly enough. <laughs> and we were talking specifically about, I, I shared a tweet with Dylan. Actually, let me see if I can find, I, I'm sure it's not too far back in the message history. I'll just find this tweet because it was amusing. The tweet just says, and some people say Link has no personality in Breath of the Wild. And it's four screenshots of like, moments in Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild where you are given the option to have a dialogue choice. Uh, and I think the, the best one is honestly the first one. There's a character named Bozai who says, if you'd like to check them out, we could grab a quiet corner and your options as Link are goodbye or give me those boots, <laughs> which is delightful. Um, mm -hmm. But that got, that turned into Dylan and I kind of mutually ranting at each other about the degree to which there's no way to say what I want to say without sounding like a little bit of like a pushing my glasses up my nose well, troll. So let's lean I, into it. I, I legitimately said uh, in our conversation, um, not maybe I am just doing the Twitter thing of inventing a person to be mad at. But now, Chris, go. This segues into your. I don't think Zelda fans have reading comprehension whatsoever. But to be honest, and. If you look at gamers on Twitter, that's not an unfair take, I would argue. If you look at gamers, no, okay, I'm being consider the gamer. Um, but no, so I, it, I, I've it, done that far enough. Thank yeah. you. Uh, we we started just sort of ranting at each other about like how frustrating we find. Like, I mean, th this this tweet is very accurate. People, a lot of people always claim that like Link has no personality because he's a silent protagonist and. Silent protagonists have to be blank slates, and we did a whole episode about how silent protagonists can be really well characterized. So this isn't that. Uh, mm. Instead, it got me thinking about, like, there's a lot of games that do this, some with silent protagonists and some with very much not silent protagonists, where 
you are given choices of what dialogue to offer. You are given moral choices. You are given, like, you know, in Mass Effect, you would get, like, the Paragon and Renegade, like, action prompts that would interrupt the dialogue with, like, a unique thing if you were good or bad cop enough. And I think that these are really interesting to look at because they are the kind of thing that, on the one hand, they make you, especially in more role-playing heavy contexts like Mass Effect or The Witcher or games like that, Dragon Age, they make you, the player, feel like you are having a unique impact on the story. But they're also a really interesting way to look at how the writers of a game, how the creators of a game wanted a character to be characterized, whichever choice you make. Um, I don't know. I, I thought that was an interesting segue to jump off of. Also, it would allow us to rant about how Breath of the Wild is really good in a way that not many people actually talk about as frequently as we wish they did. Uh, yeah, yeah, fun times. I'm going to try to make this conversation not just a rant about how I think Breath of the Wild nails its story, because I think that's one of the least appreciated things about Breath of the Wild, at least from my experience. I'm not really part of the Zelda fandom anymore, but like... Yeah, but I mean, uh, <laughs> you can go ahead and do at least a part of that rant because that was one of the things I wanted to talk about first. Like Zelda, okay. Breath of the Wild in particular does a lot with not just like those dialogue options for Link, but the entire way that the story is presented that fits into this mold pretty pretty well. Go, Dylan, fly, fly free, deliver oh, your fury. Where do I even start? Um, <laughs> okay, so I guess it's like, <sighs> is this how I'm going to open? do it um so noted game developer john carmack once said that the story to a video game is much like the story to a porno it's not absolutely necessary <laughs> it just provides context for the action on screen holy cow <laughs> incredible um, plot incredible beginnings <laughs> and uh to to segue off of that um i think what Breath of the Wild does that I really like is that, you know, it does this very old school video game thing of we establish like 95% of the story, like right from the beginning in like an 80s games case, it would be in the instruction manual. Breath of the Wild establishes 80% of the story and just basically once you're through the tutorial, the entire game is end game. Yeah. By the time you by the time you finish the task set before you on the opening plateau, you have all of the information that you strictly speaking need to understand what's going on in the game. Yeah, and so after that, everything else that happens after is just you, the player, um, exploring the world just because you want to learn about the world around you and also maybe get stronger because a lot of these enemies are scary when you only have three hearts and like some plywood to defend yourself. <laughs> um, and I, I think what, what, this, what this structure gives is an opportunity to, you know, we, we've talked about this multiple times in the past, to, to create your own story in the exploration of this world, because I, I think we get so caught up in analyzing games as, like, books or comics or film, where, like, the story is paramount and not you know, the, the interactivity that makes video games unique. And I think Zelda, as a franchise, is all about discovery. And so... Yeah, in... I mean, Zelda, the original Legend of Zelda was inspired by Shigeru Miyamoto's experiences like exploring caves as a kid in the countryside. 
Yeah. And so I think what Bre- like the the entire point of Breath of the Wild is that you are just kind of discovering and part of the discovery is the story. Um and I think you know a lot of the the story and characterization I guess is missable and so that can like I think people see that as a mark against the the story of Breath of the Wild but um oh god I got to organize my thoughts. Well, let me let me let me jump in and let you organize your thoughts for a second because I okay. I feel like I've talked about this on the show before, but I think that the degree to which Breath of the Wild prioritizes that feeling of discovery that you're talking about is its greatest strength bar none. Like mm-hmm. I know I've talked about this before on the show, but the fact that they took the like Assassin's Creed style climb the high thing to reveal the map formula that like every open world game since Assassin's Creed had done but tweaked it literally one step by giving you the map but not filling in like the points of interest mm-hmm. is the coolest thing about the game for me so like good. from a gameplay point of view like I'm not you... going to a place because there's something to check off my checklist there I'm going there because Oh hey, this lake is named after Saria from Ocarina of yeah. Time. Or I'm like, just gonna check it out because that's an interesting landmark. Yeah, or like, hell, this lake in the northwest or in the northeast corner of the map is shaped like a fucking skull. I wonder what's up with that. Like yeah. there's they they build exploration into it, not in the way that most open world games do of like, there's something to find around every corner. And like, you know, your your minimap will fill up with optional objectives, but your minimap doesn't fill up. And it's up to you to decide how much time you want to invest and decide how much you want to explore just based on the world around you. And that ties into the greater gameplay hook because all of the things that will allow you to get stronger, you have to just go and find by like scanning the horizon from a high place or picking a point on the map that looks interesting and deciding to hike over there. You don't have to go to any of the objectives that are given to you in order to beat the game, except for the final fight with Ganondorf. Or Calamity Ganon, sorry. Like, the game is about exploration to the point that everything is optional but the final boss. And it is up to you to decide how invested you want to be, and it will reward you for your investment both mechanically and narratively, and I think that's fucking incredible. And to take that game design... Ludo narrative. I don't know if people roll their eyes when people say Ludo <laughs> narrative as like you know its own thing, but uh, to to take that to its logical conclusion, you're you're basically you're starting the story in media res. Link has amnesia. Um, through the act of discovery, you are discovering the story. You are trying to piece together what has happened in the past. Kind of similar to what uh a lot of people in the Dark Souls fan base do with those games. You're just you're kind of dropped into a location with zero context and you got to slowly piece it together what happened. Um, and I think the character that this gives Link is that the more you explore Hyrule, the more you learn about Link's past. And then through extent of that, like the more you realize that before the game begins, Zelda and himself, they were absolutely miserable um, because they felt constrained by the legacy they had to uphold for previous Zeldas and Links. Mm-hmm. And I think what is interesting about that is, even as you're discovering that, as you're playing Breath of the Wild and talking to NPCs, the Link that you are currently controlling is incredibly chipper. He's, he's like, 
very goofy. He's got a tongue firmly in cheek. Um, he uh, <laughs> he blushes when uh, his his cross dressing attire is complimented. Um, he you know he'll walk up to people and be like, "What you doing?" And like his his uh, all of his optional dialogue. And by optional, I mean it's not optional. Sometimes there's you. Sometimes you don't have an alternate. Uh, dialogue option to pick. Mm-hmm. Um, all of his dialogue is so quirky, um, and fun and upbeat, and like I, I know some people just write that off as like Nintendo's typical quirky, offbeat writing, but the fact that it's it is coming out of Link's mouth, and there's not really a whole lot you can do to control that, is such an interesting dichotomy with like the Link that you are discovering in flashbacks. Yeah, and it it serves to show that like. I don't know, for me, it paints the picture of, like, Link. If you look at Link's arc, essentially, the Link you are playing as in Breath of the Wild is on, like, his second lease on life. Yeah. Like, he he has a chance to make right what he couldn't get right the last time. And, you know, there's different... That's not a, an entirely unique, like, story trope for a main character. But in this case, I think it is interesting the degree to which they they paint Link's commitment to that in a very kind of joyful way mm-hmm. link is not this is not the dark and brooding world of of twilight princess this is not a self-serious link this is a link who's like yeah i've got a job to do but also like i get to do it free of all this the constraints and the ex- expectations that were placed on me before and, and i can do it, it right this time and even if like anyone listening to this thinks i'm breathing too deeply into this um, this is Zelda's character arc too. Yep. Um, and you know, uh, there's missable dialogue, but again, the game's about discovery. So if you don't discover that, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> can't do nothing for you, man. Can't do nothing for you, man. But like, you can read Zelda's diary, and she'll talk about like how the more she learns about Link, the more she realizes that they are equally miserable being the chosen, like of the respective goddesses that they represent, they are constrained by the legacy of their previous incarnations. Uh, I don't know how much our listeners know about Zelda lore. I don't want to get too deep into it, but they're basically two separate avatars to reference the last airbender. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I think it's a really interesting take on the character. And I think that like, there's so much intent, like it is fully possible that we are, I'm not going to say it's possible we're reading too much into it because I hate that argument, uh, but it's fully possible that we are misreading this. I also don't think we're reading too much into it. It's fully possible that, like, the reading that we are uh, we are applying to this is not what was intended by the writers of this game. Mm-hmm. That doesn't stop it from being a legitimate reading. That's something that I think a lot of online discourse does not understand. Um, right. But... I think that it shows a lot of, like, whether or not we are interpreting it in line with the intent of the author, it shows a lot of intent that they chose to write Link with all of these kind of flippant uh, dialogue options. The other really great one from this this collection of screenshots that I like is uh, Link is asked by someone, so did you meet the hero of Hyrule? And your option for saying yes is, I am he. <laughs> Which is delightful. Again, it's... It is such a goofy, jokey delivery, and I think that, like, there's no way that that's not intentional. There's no way that there wasn't right. a, a reason that they were 
opting to make Link a goofball. Um, from my non-existent knowledge of Japanese, but like from watching Tim Rogers talk about the Japanese language for three hours, um, <laughs> you know, there are different pronouns, and I imagine that in the Japanese script, the pronoun Link used to refer to himself was probably a little more hoity-toity than your standard pronoun right. that you would use. Right. It's delightful. I love it. And I think that... So good. I want to I wanna take that, flip it, and reverse it, and go into the other kind of big genre of this kind of thing that I wanted to talk about. Bioware games. Mass Effect. Dragon Age. The games that have been inspired by those games, like things like The Witcher. There's a whole world of, of RPG video games out there where you are offered moral choices. You are given the option between, you know, do you want to be Renegade, do you want to be Paragon? Are you going to be good cop or bad cop? And, okay, a little bit of video game history for the, uh, the youngins out there. Oh, boy. When Mass Effect 3 came out, people got mad. People got really mad because Mass Effect 3, the big kind of thing that they were playing with was consequences for actions from the previous Mass Effect games. If you had saves from Mass Effect 1, you could import that save into Mass Effect 2 and then similarly into Mass Effect 3, uh, and the game would... would you know, change outcomes based on choices you had made in the previous games. And it was really cool. And like, to this day, I don't know that there are many other games that have tried to do that. But then in the end, it got to the point of like, you, you get to the final moment and you get to make one final choice that is disconnected from everything else. And that determines what ending you get. And people lost their flavor blasted minds to the point that Bioware had to patch the game to introduce a different ending system. I'm pretty sure I've talked about this before on this show, uh, and why I think that was stupid, that people got really angry, because even just from a logistical point of view, there's no world in which Bioware could have had the time to program enough distinct endings based on the huge metric or like matrix of choices coming before to satisfy the people who had been upset. Mm -hmm. Like, just from a time and effort point of view, that would have been impossible. But I also think it's dumb for much the same reason that I think people misreading Link as a blank slate is dumb, in that all of those choices, even though it feels like you have choice, you have all of these moments where you're able, you know, do you let the, do you let the gith live or do you exterminate them all? The gith, the, I, the geth, the gick, I can't remember what the alien robot race is called. I wish I could help you with that, but I can't. That's fair. It's been a long time since I've played these games. You know, do you exterminate the Rakshi, this like swarm alien consciousness, or do you let the queen go? Uh, and all of these things end up like coming back and playing parts in the final in the final act of this series in a really cool interconnected way. But they're only able to do that because the the creators were very intentional about what each choice meant and what each like, for lack of a better word, version of Commander Shepard, Renegade or Paragon was. It's the illusion of choice, that's, and that's the best that any game can ever offer you, and that's not a shortcoming. That's just, they, they, there's never going to be a game, and you know, fast forward to 2041, where this is listening, people are listening to this and going, you imbecile. Uh, <laughs> but there's never going to be a game that has 100% player choice. There can't be. Games are created by people, they are stories that are being told, all of the choices that are on offer are going to be the choices that the writers have decided are available to fit within the story they are wanting to tell. 
and the more choices you give a player, the fucking harder that's going to be to pull off. Yeah. Like, to have an ending for every single possible potential permutation. Exactly. But in particular, what I want to talk about that's really interesting is that, like, I had the experience when I was playing Mass Effect back when I was in, like, high school when these games were coming out, where I played Mass Effect, I loved it. I played Mass Effect 2. I loved it. I was... And while Mass Effect 3 was still in development, every now and then I'd have the thought of, like, I should revisit Mass Effect. I should play Mass Effect again and take some different choices. And every time I would start it up, I'd get a little bit in, and then I'd just, like... It's not right to say I would lose interest, but it was like, I don't... I wouldn't want to keep going and take different choices because the story of, like... And I'm going to use air quotes here. My Commander Shepard, the one that I had been playing through those two games, his story wasn't done yet because Mass Effect 3 hadn't come out, and I knew that there was more to this story. And maybe I'm alone in that. Maybe that was a uniquely Chris thing. But I felt like it was like, no, this is my version of this character. But then looking back and playing through the games again after I beat Mass Effect 3 and, and, and you know, seeing Let's Plays that take different choices, it's really interesting to see how Shepard is characterized between you know, good shepherd and bad shepherd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in particular, there's there's a moment that I really love where, and I'm I'm going to butcher the exact context because it's been a fucking minute, but if I remember correctly, there's a point where you, if you are going the paragon route, if you're going the good, the good route, you run into, like, somebody who is in essence like a slaver, like, or drug runner who uses drug mules or something like that, some mm-hmm. absolutely despicable character, and you are having a dialogue with them, and they're running off and spouting off stuff and at some point if you have enough paragon points the little like you can take a paragon action icon will pop up and if you hit the trigger to take that action shepherd just pistol whips this dude and knocks him unconscious and that's the good cop option and i fucking love that i mean yeah i was about to say i think that's a that's a paragon option it's 100 percent a paragon option but it's so fun because there are other points where you can pistol whip people, but they've always been renegade options. Like, there's there's an asshole reporter that will ambush you on the Citadel, and the renegade option with them is when they start questioning you uh, too hard, is you can, like, punch him in the face and walk away. So it was just really fun seeing this moment where, like, no, the good guy option here that the writers have decided is to knock this fool the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> and... That, to me, is a really cool encapsulation of exactly kind of what we've been talking about with Link, is, like, there is intentionality behind these choices. Even when you are given a plethora of choice, what those choices are reflect the thoughts of the creators. Right. And it's up to us as people consuming the media to try and figure out what those thoughts are. Like, I would argue that the only time you have complete control over a character in a video game, like, in terms of personality and story and all that, is when they are a complete blank slate. Yeah. And even then... And even then, you are... The minute they introduce, like... to the design of the game. Yeah, the minute they introduce the idea of, like, binary dialogue choices where you have to choose from a list, there's that pesky hand of the writer sneaking in there again. Right. Like, Like, the only character whose whose character you have complete and perfect control over is the square in the Atari game Adventure. (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) <laughs> you're really not wrong and pong <laughs> yeah. maybe i'll permit you to go with pac-man if you wish create no. a construct a narrative for frogger 
but yeah, that's that's about all I all I really had for this week, Dylan. Unless you have uh, more thoughts to go into. Um, that's that's the gas in the tank for me. Um, I'm I'm thinking about like other games that do this. Uh, I feel like Final Fantasy VII is actually a really good one. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I should go with Final Fantasy VII Vanilla. I just uh, I'm not entirely sure how to quite tackle this, but so Cloud is straight up his own character. Like, I, I don't think that's arguable, um, but he does have a lot of dialogue options, most of which uh, determine the affection points uh, he has with Tifa, Aerith, or Barrett, or Yuffie, those four. And I... Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm opening Pandora's box. I'm flashing <laughs> back to middle school. Oh, God. This is terrible. You can pull the ripcord and get out if you want. Uh, no. Um... Uh, okay, uh, so shipping wars naturally were a thing, and mm -hmm. somehow they continue to be a thing in the year of our Lord 2021. But yeah, so Cloud is his own, like, fixed character. He has his fixed backstory. It is established in concrete that when he was a teenager, he had a crush on Tifa. And yeah, uh, so throughout the game, you, you can choose to flirt with Tifa or Aerith, you can um, win Barrett's heart over by showing kindness to his adopted daughter, Marlene. And I don't know how you gain Yuffie's affection because I never tried to do it. Just that that route never interested me. <laughs> you can also win uh, their affection by politically opposing uh, the Shinra Corporation, which like, good, don't, <laughs> don't, don't support corporations. You should politically There's... oppose the Shinra Corporation in all there, things. There is... There is no ethical consumption in Midgar. There's no ethical <laughs> consumption under Shinra. <laughs> um, Final Fantasy was really the first fandom that like I super got into, um, saving me from joining the furry fandom uh, <laughs> through the likes of Sonic the Hedgehog and Sly Cooper. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I got into the Final Fantasy fandom and I was on, you know, a forum. And, God, if I remember clear as day the fucking Clareth versus Clouty uh, shipping wars of the mid-2000s. Um, <laughs> the dark Every times. new piece of Final Fantasy VII media that came out, because that's when Square Enix was super milking that cash cow, um, was like, Yeah, see? He lives together with Tifa. They run a bar together. Clearly, they're together. But, like, yeah, but Cloud's never around, and he's, like, driving around in the credits searching for Aerith's ghost somewhere. So, like, that's more... Also, spoilers, I'm sorry, uh, for people <laughs> who only know Final Fantasy VII through the remake. Oopsie doopsie. And, I mean, like, we don't know if the remake's going to play out the same way as the original, but in the original, Aerith died. Uh, sorry if you didn't know that spoiler to a 25-year-old game. Also referenced in Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, right. <laughs> People get mad um, at Wreck-It Ralph for that. <laughs> well, I, I mean, there was Hashtag Wreck-It Ralph is cancer, a canceled party. Well, I mean, it, it's a non-spoiler because the graffiti said Aerith lives. See, oh it's God. ironic. <laughs> anyway. Um, people got so bent out of shape and at each other's throats. It's, it's like Persona fans arguing who is best girl, except... For a character with his own agency to a certain degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, like, the, the reason why I'm bringing it up is just because it's like, you know, uh, the character you like is a personal thing. And 
you know, it, 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 it's to cultivate your own experience playing through Final Fantasy VII. Whether Cloud is carrying a torch for Aerith or finally is able to confess to that girl he had a crush on when he was 12 and, like, her reciprocating that. Whatever the narrative you want from that game, the game designers implemented so that you could have your choice. Um, it doesn't have to be canon because... There is no canon there. It, it's for you. Video games are like, you know, a personal, subjective, introspective <laughs> experience. You yeah. don't have to exert your will over other people. It's not that deep. Yeah. Your reading of a game or a book or a film or anyone other, any other piece of media is just as valid as anyone else's. Unless so, you're making some real screwball arguments, in which case maybe we'll have to fight about it, but... So, for the people arguing that the love triangle in Final Fantasy VII Remake is anything but a polycue, <laughs> it's fine. No, that's Take what I call breath. a polycule, Volume Seven. <laughs> it 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 doesn't. We we can we we we've passed the we've surpassed the need for Society the Final Fantasy VII wars. shipping wars. Please. And on that note, I feel like we can wrap up. We'll call this one yes. a little bit of a short one this week, yep. y'all. But I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Yeah. <laughs> let us know, uh, and Dylan will tell you how to uh, reach out to us on social media in just a moment. But let us know if there are any uh, games that you can think of that like allow this sort of limited player agency and, and, and open interpretation of a character. Because I always like things like that. I like reading into games, if this podcast wasn't proof enough of, of that for you. <laughs> We like it so much, we made an entire podcast out of it. But yeah, we'll be back for you in another couple weeks. Until then, please th and thank you. Uh, leave What am I doing? Leave a rating or review on iTunes. That always helps us get found. And tell everybody in your life about us if you think they'd like us. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on the uh, Spotify, on the Google app, the Google, uh, on the Google Play Store, and Stitcher <laughs> in your podcast right there, of choice. I broke a little bit. Um, I can tell. You can also find us on our website, bsgpod.com, where you can also get info about us. And there's a contact form if you want to reach out to us directly. That's a great way to get a hold of us if you want something uh, more pressing than just to touch base via social media. Speaking of which, hey, Dylan. If you want to contact us on the... Wow, it hit me too. <laughs> um, if you want to contact us on social media, you can hit us up on Facebook or on Twitter, where our handle is at bsg underscore cast. Um, you can also... Engage with us using that hashtag BSGpod. Just rolls right off the tongue. It's wonderful. I love saying it. You'll love typing it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a good type. It's a good type. Also, hmm. Also, huge thanks to our friend Brennan French for the key art he has provided our show. If you dig his stuff, you should check him out on his Squarespace at brennan-french.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N hyphen french squarespace.com you can also find him on instagram.com slash brennan french arts or on twitter where his handle is at brennan underscore french thanks also to our friend bioquery he's the musician behind our theme song dot sound radio volume one instrumentality you should go check out the rest of his music you can find that by going to soundcloud.com slash bioquery that's soundcloud.com slash b-i-o-q-u-e-r-y or by searching for bioquery on spotify it's a great uh he does a lot of great electronica grooves you should check them out if you like our theme song 
Thanks, as always, to the HB Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. They're a great network full of podcasts about video games. If you like our show, I'm sure you'll like some of theirs. They're always being retweeted on Twitter at HPVGPodNetwork. Thanks also to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod. It's thanks to you that we're able to do this show without losing money. It means the world to us. Uh, and if you like the show and want to support it directly, patreon.com slash bsgpod is the place to do that. Hey, Dylan, we're slowly going insane as evidenced by all these flubs. I think we should stop. All right. Uh, can I have one closing statement? Do it. Speaking of love triangles, do you think Sonic should end up with a, uh, Goodbye, Sally, <laughs> Sally Acorn or... Oh my god, goodbye. (laughs)